It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. We have an amazing kicker on the show today. I always like to end the podcast with a bang. Uh, something that appears in a respected publication but is highly salacious. Uh, so, as they say in television, stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Uh, All right, I got to lead today with Hunter Biden. Story number one. This is in its own way in the realm of politics, uh, an eye-opening story. Because for 10 months now, the House Republicans and the Oversight Committee chaired by Jim Comer have been trying to get the president's son to come and testify most recently by issuing a subpoena. And, you know, look, Hunter Biden has, is under criminal indictment, has made a lot of mistakes in his life, as he would be the first to admit. And clearly, what the House GOP wants to do is to make him the face of the Joe Biden scandal uh, as part of that impeachment inquiry which might be running out of gas, but we shall see. So what happened is, and this is part of a whole uh, broader, larger, more aggressive strategy by Hunter. And that includes, among other things, filing lawsuits. He's sued Rudy Giuliani for supposedly hacking his computer, the infamous laptop that he left at a Delaware repair shop. He's also uh, sued the owner of the repair shop, who's also sued him. Hunter has also sued the IRS for allowing his personal taxes to become public. Uh, He wrote an op-ed piece in USA Today, which I shared with you uh, earlier this month, in fact. And in that, he said that the Republicans were weaponizing his addiction against him. Kind of painting himself as a victim. And that this was terrible because it was sending the wrong message to anybody struggling with drug abuse. So playing the addiction card, you might say. And look, I've never defended um, what Hunter Biden has done in terms of using his last name. And there are actually, it is actually his one email where he says he knows the reason he's marketable in places like Ukraine, where he worked for Burisma and places like China, is because he's a Biden, his last name. And while his father was vice president, yes, uh, he joined a bunch of phone calls with Hunter's business partners, a couple of lunches, as I recall, at a fancy Washington restaurant. And just because other presidential relatives have done that doesn't make it right. It's buck-raking. And it's an embarrassment to the family. Always has been, from addiction or no addiction. But now, Hunter Biden has his uber-aggressive lawyer, Abby Lowell, send a letter to the Comer Committee saying, sure, I'm all yours. I would love to come and testify before your committee. Love it. We'll do it in public. We'll let everybody see. What questions you have for me? And I will give you answers. 
And the response from Jim Comer's committee is, uh, not so fast. We, you know, you're not playing by the rules. We didn't ask you to come testify publicly. We asked you to come testify behind closed doors to give a deposition in private, which we can then leak the juiciest details of. And of course, the Democrats would leak as well. So we're not doing this in public. Now, you know, we will be happy to accommodate you sometime in the future in terms of testifying publicly. But first, we want this deposition. So I don't know. What would the average person say? Hunter Biden says, I'll come testify and the whole world should see it. Why shouldn't the public be able to watch? And, you know, people who are defending it are saying, look, committee sets the rules and Donald Trump Jr. testified behind closed doors before he did it in a public session. I just think he's got the better of this exchange. And by the way, people who are very concerned about subpoenas, um, remember when people who had been subpoenaed by the House January 6th committee, like Mark Meadows, a former congressman, later, of course, Donald Trump's chief of staff, just said, I'm not doing it, blew it off. And most of them got away with it. In a couple of cases, Steve Bannon comes to mind, uh, the Justice Department came in and is prosecuting on that basis, you know, contempt of Congress. So it all depends on who's being subpoenaed and who's doing the subpoenaing. Um, so one of the interesting angles of this uh, is that the Biden White House, at least some in the Biden White House, not too happy with the president's son and his more aggressive strategy. Because obviously, this shines a very bright spotlight, or potentially could if he does testify, on, you know, the foreign business activities, uh, his legal problems, his addiction, you know, the whole nine yards. And Politico reports that some in the president's inner circle just are irritated by this and, and say he's not clearing his tactics and his strategy with the White House. Well, look, uh, that's the risk here. His father is already suffering from abysmal poll numbers. He's gearing up to run for re-election. And the more attention Hunter Biden gets, the more oxygen the supposed, you know, Biden crime family, as the Republicans would put it, gets and becomes part of the public dialogue. In fact, there's another faction, according to Politico, who say these days, you can't leave these allegations unrebutted. And there was something to learn from Trump's scandal playbook. It pays to talk loud, move fast, and punch hard. Okay, uh, I've seen a lot of things in my career. 
Joe Biden and his advocates saying we should follow the Trump playbook. This is amazing. So, obviously, Hunter Biden can't just step out of the spotlight because he has been criminally charged on the gun matter. And obviously, he's guilty of that. He lied on the form. He wanted to buy a gun. He said he wasn't using drugs. He was using lots of drugs. You don't usually get sent to jail for that. But remember that plea bargain, that lenient plea bargain with no jail time for the president's son fell apart. And so now the prosecutor in the case, David Weiss, now special counsel, has brought the gun charge. And everybody expects him to bring charges on unpaid or delayed taxes as well. But now the story goes on to say that Hunter keeps his father informed of what he's doing. And then obviously that filters down to the president's team. But Joe Biden can't, isn't as far as we know, and can't do anything about it. He has to let Hunter make his own decisions, even if they're bad decisions. Because if he lifts a pinky to advise his son in any way, pressure him, push him, He's violating his own pledge that he would not be involved in his son's business affairs. And this is an outgrowth of his business dealings. And, you know, there's that $20,000 check back in 2018 from James Biden, president's brother, to Joe. That the Republicans see as, you know, some sort of laundered Chinese payment. But which the White House says was just repayment from the brother on a personal loan. You know, they may have been getting money from China for doing work, legitimate or not legitimate, we should find out. So all of this is now back in on center stage. Hunter Biden, I would love to testify. Let's let the whole country see it. Uh, I think the ratings would be pretty good. That's important, right? I mean, I just would love to see this happen. It's hard for me to imagine they won't work something out, that there'll be a permanent impasse. Hunter will say, testify publicly. Jim Comer will say, behind closed doors, and it won't happen. I mean, he is under subpoena. He will look bad if it looks like he's fighting the subpoena. On the other hand, the average, you know, person looking at this is going to say, what more do you want? You got what you asked for. He's going to come, turn on the television lights, ask him any question you want, and people will judge whether he's got good answers or not. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Story number two. As I'm speaking to you, Israel and Hamas are still talking about extending the truce. Remember, it got extended for two more days. Today's the last day. Today's the last day of a hostage release and the release of Palestinian prisoners. And I looked at the group of Israelis that was released yesterday, and you got the youngest was 17, the oldest was 84. I'm not going to stop harping on this. This is brutal and inhumane to kidnap civilians in the first place. But when you're, they still have, I think, three-year-old twins that haven't been released. There was, of course, the American hostage, four-year-old Abigail Eden, 
So there's sort of mixed feelings here because the, if they do agree to an extension, first of all, Hamas will have to find additional hostages to come up with. The longer it goes on, the more Israelis and perhaps hopefully Americans are able to be reunited with their families. But the longer the Hamas military gets to gear up for the eventual resumption of war, which Bibi Netanyahu continues to vow will happen. We just don't know when it will happen. It could be tomorrow. So um, it's raised expectations. Biden wants a bigger hostage deal. Um, Each side is accusing the other of having violated the ceasefire. Israeli military said explosive devices have been detonated near its troops in two places in northern Gaza and that the terrorists had fired on them in one of those places. Hamas said its fighters engaged in a field clash provoked by Israel but offered no details. What does that tell you? But it was in the interest of both sides, I guess, to, uh, to keep the truce going. So as of now, it's still going, but could expire at midnight tonight, Israeli time. Now, during this time, I mean, the U.S., I just saw airlifted, I don't know, some large number of tons of food and other humanitarian assistance to be delivered during this time. And again, today may be the last day that that will easily be done. But here, and of course, there's international pressure. You know, there's a whole bunch of people in the world and in our country, and especially younger Democrats, who just want this to be over. Permanent ceasefire, end the war, save all these lives, happens to leave aside the fact that Israel was brutally attacked in a massacre that spared no one of any age on October 7th. Now, here's uh, what Joe Biden said on Twitter, which seems to me to be a shift in position. Hamas, uh, excuse me, Hamas unleashed a terrorist attack because they fear nothing more than Israelis and Palestinians living side by side in peace. Okay, that's kind of hinting that we need a two-state solution. Fine, I'm in favor of that. I think it's more distant than it's been in a long time. President continues to continue down the path of terror, violence, killing, and war is to give Hamas what they seek. We can't do that. So does that suggest that the President of the United States wants this war to stop, with Israel falling far short of its goal of toppling Hamas, of decimating the Hamas terrorists so they could never again mount this kind of attack? a group that is dedicated to Israel's destruction? I don't know. Uh, my Fox colleague Trey Yingst said on Fox and Friends the other day, and he just tends to be more candid, I think, and speak more about the process than a lot of other journalists who were doing fine and courageous work there. Trey Yingst says, when we talk with Hamas officials, they become increasingly frustrated throughout the war as I question them over the phone or over text messages about October 7th. They have gone as far as to blatantly lie 
when presented with evidence because they simply don't want to tell the truth about what took place here. So we're able to make contact and get comment, but in terms of the information they're providing, we often will not actually bring it to air because what they're telling us, I can't confirm it. And a lot of times they're lying. And so we do reach out, we try to do our due diligence on these stories, get as many perspectives and angles as possible. But when you're dealing with a terror organization, it's very challenging to get them to tell the truth and provide accurate information. Now, I don't think any of that will shock you, but it is interesting that Trey was willing to say it publicly. As for that other war, you know, the one that is continuing in Ukraine, the wife, this just shows you the lengths to which the Russians will go. The wife of Ukraine's military intelligence chief has been poisoned. And that's a tactic the Russians often use. And is recovering in a hospital, according to Ukrainian officials yesterday. An official from the Ukrainian military agency said Mariana Budanova had been poisoned and was receiving treatment. Her husband, Kirylo Budanova, is the head of the agency, known as GUR, one of the country's senior military leaders. So what do the Russians do? They attack his wife. They try to kill her with poison. Just a reminder, as if any were needed, of the brutality and also involving kidnapping of Ukrainians that the Russians are willing to engage in. They target civilians. That's what they have in common with Hamas. Okay, Democrats in Congress are clashing with each other and the Biden administration as they try to get an emergency military aid bill together for Israel. Remember, that hasn't happened yet. Nor has there been a provision of military aid to Ukraine because of the internal politics on the Hill. So some on the left now want to attach conditions on any aid to Israel. Chuck Schumer could bring this to the floor as early as next week. Why not this week, Chuck? I, I get it, you're trying to work things out. It's just Congress just moves at such a molasses pace. This is war we're talking about. People are dying. Could begin to work on a legislative package. So what's happening is Jake Sullivan, Biden's national security advisor, met uh, with about 20 Democratic senators who've raised concerns about how Israel might use U.S. assistance on the battlefield. Some of them uh, argued to their colleagues that any aid package should increase humanitarian assistance to Gaza. Okay, you still have to get it in there. And ensure that Israel do more to avoid civilian casualties. Well, that's also the position of the Biden administration. But do you want to tie Israel's hands militarily by doing this as part of the legislation? And by the way, NBC has a report about the awful and tragic shooting of those three Palestinian college students in Vermont. The guy who was the suspect here, his former girlfriend once told police he was harassing her with messages sexual in nature. He had sent her numerous text messages, emails, and phone calls according to a police report obtained by NBC. 
messages were sexual in nature, not threatening, came after the woman made clear uh, she didn't want to communicate with him or see him anymore. This tells you something about the man who is suspected, you know, presumed innocent, but suspected of shooting these students who were guilty of nothing more than walking down the street, two of them wearing the traditional Palestinian headdress and speaking partially in Arabic. I just changed the lead for this next segment. Number three, Donald Trump on Truth Social. MSNBC, parentheses MSDNC, uses free government-approved airwaves. I'll stop you there, Mr. President. MSNBC is a cable network, so it doesn't use the free government airwaves that the broadcast networks do. It's uh, cable systems that have been built by towns and cities across America. Anyway, free airwaves. And yet it is nothing but a 24-hour hit job on Donald J. Trump and the Republican Party for purposes of election interference. All right, MSNBC is constantly, constantly critical of Donald Trump. MSNBC, like any news organization, has the right to do that. It may be unfair. It's fine for Trump to criticize the network and every other news outlet. He's certainly taken his wax at Fox. But it goes on. Brian Roberts, chairman and CEO, is a slimeball who's been able to get away with these constant attacks for years. It is the world's biggest political contribution to the radical left Democrats, who, by the way, are destroying our country. Our so-called government should come down hard on them and make them pay for their illegal political activity. Once again, it's not illegal. Make them pay. Is that what Donald Trump would do in a second term? Uh, go use the powers of government to go after news organizations with coverage that he doesn't like? I'll let that question hang in the air. Meanwhile, a lot of coverage for an ABC exclusive about Mike Pence saying that Earlier this year, when the former vice president was talking to Jack Smith's prosecutors, uh, he said that Trump surrounded himself with crank attorneys, espoused un-American legal theories, and almost pushed the country to a constitutional crisis, according to sources. He told investigators he's sure that he informed Trump in the days before January 6th he hadn't seen evidence of significant election fraud, but Trump was unmoved, claiming the election was stolen and acting recklessly. Now, some of this is similar to what Penn said, said when he was a candidate and when he wrote in his book, but some of the details are new. For example, there are notes showing that um, days before January 6th, when I will recall, Pence was scheduled to preside over the Electoral College certification of Joe Biden. Then came the riot, and then Pence continued to do that and did not recognize any of these states that wanted to block Biden's certification because he believed correctly that he did not have the power to do that. But he wrote a note, I guess to himself, saying there were too many questions and it would be too hurtful to my friend and so he just wasn't going to show up on January 6th and do it at all. But obviously he changed his mind and did show up. 
Pence insisted his loyalty to Trump never faltered. My only higher loyalty was to God and the Constitution. So you can see where this would come in handy in a trial. And there's even an argument over a comma. In the book, it says, you know, comma, I don't think I have the authority to change the outcome. Pence speaking to Trump. He said there shouldn't have been a comma there, and it should have read, you know I don't have the authority to change the outcome. Oh, and speaking of uh, books, Liz Cheney's book is about to come out. It was leaked to CNN, which has been going wild on it. And there is this one anecdote that everybody is just going haywire over, everybody in the media at least. After Kevin McCarthy, not yet speaker, Um, after holding President Trump accountable in his statements in the House for what happened on that awful day, soon after, he went down to Mar-a-Lago, which has widely been described as a kissing-the-ring visit. And he was talking to Liz Cheney, according to her book, And she basically said, after all this, you're going to Mar-a-Lago? And this was actually uh, after he went. So after after all this, you went to Mar-a-Lago? She says McCarthy told her, Trump's not eating, so they asked me to come see him. What? You went to Mar-a-Lago because Trump's not eating? Yeah, he's really depressed, McCarthy said. Now, let me be precise about this. Nobody is buying this. It's just being made fun of. He went there because Donald Trump wasn't eating. Donald Trump loves to eat. Donald Trump was depressed. I mean, it's widely seen, fairly unfairly, we'll see what McCarthy comes out with, as an excuse, you know, a rationale, a a nice story, rather than I went down there to make sure that I still had Trump on my side because I still want to run for speaker. Yeah, he's really depressed. He's not eating. Ugh. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Okay, number four. Americans for Prosperity Action, a super PAC, part of the Koch Donor Network, has endorsed Nikki Haley, which ordinarily would not be that big a deal, except in a memo, the Koch group takes some more wax at Donald Trump and makes clear that this PAC is going to give Nikki Haley tens of millions of dollars. Uh, Nikki Haley presents a bold and robust strategy to tackle inflation, out-of-control government, and on and on. New York Times says the group has already spent over $9 million opposing Trump. But now with Nikki Haley, you know, uh, getting a bit of a bump in the polls. Except she's still trailing him by a lot in her home state of South Carolina. If she were within striking distance of Trump in her own state, it'd be a different situation. Here's Jim Garrity, National Review. It doesn't matter much if I write that it's time for Chris Christie to drop out 
or Haley to drop out or Ron DeSantis to drop out. They're all going to stay in the race until they feel it's time to quit or they run out of money. Uh, but real clear politics averages, Trump is at 47% in Iowa, 45.7% in New Hampshire, 49.3% in Nikki Haley, South Carolina, which is a winner-take-all state for delegates. The non-Trump, non-Trump vote out there is just barely a majority. But it remains divided among multiple candidates. There is no way to beat Trump with at least three competitors each taking a clunk or chunk. I, I thought that would make more sense. A chunk of the non Trump vote, and that's not what we're heading for unless something changes. Oh, guess what? Donald Trump uh, put out a fundraising letter. He doesn't like this. A corrupt network of globalist rhino donors says they're going to spend tens of millions of dollars to prop up a puppet GOP candidate. Uh, Whose puppet is Nikki Haley? And try to defeat us in the primary. It's like giving money to crooked Joe Biden, says the former president. Number five, Robert De Niro. He went after the Gotham Independent Film Awards because he was monitoring the awards, moderating the awards, excuse me. And he was going to rip Trump. He was going to use that form to rip Donald Trump. Now, whether that's the appropriate form or not, we can certainly debate. But he looks in the prompter, and all those words, the anti-Trump words, were taken out. The beginning of my speech was edited, cut out. I didn't know about it, and I want to read it. And I have the impression that he just uh, ad-libbed it. Lying has become just another tool in the charlatan's arsenal. Years in office, and he's keeping up the pace in his current campaign of retribution. Okay. Thank you, Mr. De Niro, for that command performance. All right, I just want to touch on a couple of things before we get to the uh, kicker that I teased at the top. Rosalind Carter's funeral was yesterday. It was carried on CNN and MSNBC. Um, President Biden and his wife were there. Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton were there. Melania Trump was there as a former first lady. And she got some flack because she wasn't wearing black. I mean, who cares? She went and attended the funeral in Atlanta. And so, a little backstory here, which is that Joe Biden was the first senator to back Jimmy Carter for president. Campaign for him. This is a guy who was a peanut farmer, one-term governor of Georgia, seen as a ridiculous long shot. Some of my colleagues in the Senate thought it was youthful exuberance on my part. Biden said, well, I was exuberant. Um, Jimmy Carter was wheeled in, 99 years old, in a wheelchair. He looked terrible, to be honest. But his family says he wanted to be there. Yes, uh, he is physically diminished. Remember, he's been in hospice care for months. And Amy Carter, who is fighting back tears, spoke briefly about her mother. And, you know, as far as I know, like nobody has seen a picture of Amy Carter for, I don't know, 40 years or whatever. 
So the 13-year-old girl that we all remember from her time in the White House is now obviously a mature young woman. And so that was kind of eye-popping. Chip Carter, who I once wrote an investigative piece about in the Washington Monthly, was there and thanked his mother, told many uh, amusing and touching anecdotes, thanked his mother for helping pull him out of his drug addiction, which I never knew about the Carter son. Okay, I mentioned on a previous podcast that Sports Illustrated has cut ties with a third-party company that used made-up names and artificial intelligence for some content. There was a staff meeting yesterday, contentious and tense, as staffers asked for a full transparent accounting of the editor-in-chief, Steve Canella. Didn't get it, weren't happy with his explanations, and the magazine is just in turmoil. Hey, you know this story about a guy named Topher Olive who went to a McDonald's in Idaho, ordered a limited edition smoky double quarter pounder BLT with fries and a Sprite, cost $16.10. And when he posted the receipt on TikTok, TikTok, excuse me, people went nuts. All these stories about, look how much it costs to just get a burger and fries. Um, and so the White House... You know, it was used as an example of Biden inflation. And so the White House tracked the meme as one of many exaggerated examples of the nation's economy. By the way, the average Big Mac nationally, as of this summer, costs $5.58. If you're going to order the Super Deluxe promotion thing and you, and you only pay more money, that's fine. But it's not obviously the everyday burger that people get at Mickey D's. All right. As promised, the Washington Post leads the story off this way. This is the Washington freaking Post. Roxy Ray is lying on her pink bedspread, her bleach blonde hair draped on her black teddy, thigh-high stockings emerging from her leopard print stilettos. She turns her backside to the camera and purrs, Mmm... That looks just like the view to persuade you to vote Republican for Daddy Trump. We both know you don't know what it's like to be an alpha. You're just a beta, obeying, doing everything I say. Pretty soon you'll be preaching and posting the Republican way all over your social media. The best part is you'll really believe in it. The video, posted by a 39-year-old Tampa resident under her stage name, is one of dozens on Clips for Sale, an adult video-sharing website. This is just so over the top. Where content creators cater to all types of sexual fetishes, including one that is rarely discussed outside of niche kink circles. Political humiliation. There are people who get turned on by the idea of having their political views mocked, usually, but not always, by members of the opposing political group. Liberals desire being dominated by conservatives and called pejoratives that imply they are weak and unintelligent, while conservatives want to be mocked for supporting Donald Trump, among other perceived transgressions. 
according to those who participate in this subculture. It includes role-playing, bondage, interrogation. With political sexual fetishes, Republicans and Democrats are reduced to caricatured sexual imagery. Now, I had never heard of any of this, and maybe the Post will get a Pulitzer for uh, uncovering the secrets of Roxy Ray and her fellow Democrats and Republicans who use the dark arts of seduction, turning her backside to the camera to cater to politically charged sexual fantasies. I think that's about all I have to say about this. Maybe I should just stop there. But hey, it's my job to bring you the best or the worst of all kinds of political and media stories. All right, I've given you a little time to cool down. I want to thank you for joining. See you tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. 